Wives, husbands, parents, you have the power of life and death in the words that you speak. What if now, from here on out, that instead of criticizing or being critical or speaking negative over your children, over your spouse, or, or, or whatever, what if you purposely, purposely said, God, this is a principle that works. It's a principle that if I will replenish, that if I will encourage, that I will be encouraged as well. What if we begin to apply that in our daily lives? What if we begin to apply that in our inner circle every day, and we're not going to speak anything negative. We're going to speak things of life and in words of encouragement and things that are positive. that was given, I believe, from God to Kim for us as a church, as a body, individually and collectively for us all. I believe that. And I want you to know if we want, if we really want a move of God, God wants to move. But you've got to be hungry for it. You've got to want it. And so I want to challenge you. On Friday night, it wasn't in the announcements, but Friday night we're going to meet here at the church at 8 o'clock on Friday evening, and we're going to spend some time in prayer. We're not going to preach to you. We're going to pray to our living Heavenly Father who is alive, who's at the right hand of God, who's making intercession for us, Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ who's making intercession for us. And I'm excited about what God is going to do. Now, we met two weeks ago, and uh, uh, or two Fridays ago. This Friday would be two Fridays ago. And, man, did we pray. And then when we prayed, we just got to Derek... He just brought his guitar out, and he just began to pick, finger pick. And then all of a sudden, worship just took place. I mean, worship took place, and the Holy Spirit just, I mean, ushered us into his presence, and and God just did some amazing things. Now, listen, I want that to happen on Sunday morning. It's okay if I don't preach. It's okay. I I don't have to say one word because I'm convinced the Holy Spirit can do more in one minute than I can ever do in a lifetime. And so I'm okay if he wants to take over and we just bask in his presence. And you say, well, uh, do you believe in a moving of the Holy Spirit? I certainly do. I certainly do. He moved on the day of Pentecost. And this thing's too high now. I'm short. He moved on the day of Pentecost. And I believe he wants to move again. Amen. It's not going to happen the same way. day of Pentecost was for that day, for that time. But I believe it's going to happen again according to the will of God. Amen. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bible, if you would. I'm not sure where, but uh, no, I'm kidding when I say that because I'm using several passages is the reason I'm saying that. I'm going to be taking from Hebrews, the third chapter, and Proverbs, I believe it is the 11th chapter, going to be looking at, at something. In the last several weeks, we've been talking about Bible application. And, and what I mean by that is that God, if you remember the first week we talked about a God and that God... Uh, uh, that God gave the Ten Commandments and, and, and the law and the principles. You know, we, we, I use the term the principles to live by, the guidelines to live by. You can call it the law. You can call it whatever. And we, and we recall that when God brought the children of Israel out of bondage, out of slavery and uh, the, the bondage that they were in, he brought them to Mount Sinai. And when he brought them to Mount Sinai, he made a statement. He made a declaration, and he said, I am the Lord your God. 
And God did want it to, to, God, what I want you to get is God had already established a relationship with the children of Israel. They were in a relationship with God. Listen, when God saved you, when God delivered you from sin and bondage, there was a relationship that was established with God. God did not was not interested in giving you the law. He was not interested in telling you what to do. He was interested in a relationship with you. He was more concerned about having a relationship with you. And so he didn't say, well, now, if you will do this, you can, I will be your God. If you do this, you know, and, and, and all these things, that, then I'll become your God. He didn't say that. He said, I am the Lord your God. I'm already in a relationship with you. And when God saved you and God saved me, that was the beginning of our relationship with our Heavenly Father. But then after that, he gives them some guidelines. Why? Because they had been born, or that generation had been born into slavery. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was bondage. All they knew was that they had taskmasters that were over them, and, and they were cruel and mean. And I want you to know that when you were born and I were born, we were born into slavery. We were born into bondage. We had a taskmaster over us, which is called Satan or sin. Sin controlled our lives. And God was so interested in delivering us, he delivered us from our sin through his son, Jesus Christ. Now, I really want you to get it. God wants to be in a relationship with you. And he delivered them, he delivered us so that we could have a relationship with him. And then after, the, after that, he brings them to Mount Sinai and he says, now I want to give you some guidelines to live by. Why? Because all you've known is slavery and bondage. And I don't ever want you to go back into slavery and bondage. And I'm going to give you some guidelines so that you can be blessed and you can have a successful life, that you will be prosperous and all that stuff. And so we, we, we talked about how that God gives us guidelines. He doesn't give guidelines to the world to live by. He gives guidelines to Christians. These principles will apply to the world if they live by them, they will work, but they don't have to because God didn't give it to them. God gave it to those that were in a relationship with him because he loved us and he wanted us to have a good life and experience love and grace and, and all those wonderful things in his fullness. So he gives us guidelines to live by. And, then, and so we talked about that and, and we talked about when James, when he said, don't be don't be hearers of the word only, but be doers. Do what it says. In other words, apply it to your life. Apply the principles that I give you to the way you live. Apply it to your life, and if you will do what it says, you will experience freedom. You will have liberty in your life. And I'm telling you, they work. They really do work. I tried it, and they work. And, and then last week we talked about the, the tenet or the law that God gave to the children of Israel, the one and only. I want to be your one and only God. I don't want you to look to the world. I don't want you to look to other gods. I don't want you to look to anyone else. I want, to, I want you to look to me for everything that you need in your life. There are not many gods. There's only one God. There's only one God, real, true, living God. And he says, I don't want you to look at to, to the other gods. I want you to look to me. I was reading this morning a story in the Bible where I believe it was, uh, I can't remember if it was Asa or one of the, uh, the kings of Judah 
he had been calling upon God to deliver them. He had been calling upon God to fight for them. And then all of a sudden, he went to war against another king. And when he did, instead of asking God to, 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 to deliver them and asking God to go before them, he asked another king to join them. And the word of the Lord came to him, and he says, listen, because you didn't ask me, you're going to have war the rest of your life. If you, would have asked, if you would have asked me, I would have given you victory, and I would have given you peace, but instead you asked someone else to help you. And God wants to be the one and only God in our lives, that we look to him for what we need. So this morning during this thing that we, we call pandemic and all the things that are going on in the world, the chaos, I, I thought about a biblical principle that really does work. Because you see, our life is full of conversations, and you and I have them. In fact, I was sharing with someone, um, I, don't, I, I sleep real good when I go to bed at night. I, I, I really do. Man, I go to bed, I hit the sack, Kim can talk to me, and I'm gone. And she'll, you know, she'll just say, I was talking to you, and you just went off to sleep. And I don't do it intentionally. I'm not doing it to ignore her. I just, I, I go to sleep real easy. But the problem is I wake up at 1.30 in the morning or 2 o'clock. I mean, I just wake up, my eyes are like this, and a million things are going on in my mind. And I used to turn the TV on in the bedroom, and I'll just leave it at that. So I've learned to get up and go into the living room and turn the TV on, and usually I'll turn it to the news because news is boring. And so I'll turn it to the news, and I usually roll over and go right back to sleep. But I've noticed lately that I go in there and turn the news on, and I, and, and, and I just feel heavy. I get up in the morning, and I just feel heavy and, and, and uh, you know, just like, ugh. And, you know, and, and then it crossed my mind. I didn't even think about it because it was just noise, and the noise distracted me, and I just went to sleep. It was boring, you know, and... And Kim one day, I said, man, I just, I don't know what's going on. She says, what are you listening to? I said, well, I just turn it to the news. She said, well, no wonder. All you're getting is negative talk, and even though you're not hearing it, your subconscious is getting it. It's going into you, and all you're hearing is all this negative talk about all the junk going on in the world. No wonder you feel the way you do. And I thought, oh, you're right. I hadn't even thought about it. And so last week, I got up at about 1.30, 2 o'clock, as usual, and I decided I'm not going to turn it on to the news. I'm going to listen to some music. And they got this thing on our TV, TDS, has uh, what they call the light. And so I turned it over there, rolled over, went back to sleep. And do you know this week has just been great? It has been a great, I mean, it's been hectic, it's been busy, I'm not saying that, but do you know, I don't feel the load that I felt, I don't feel the, 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 the negativity, I don't feel all the, the, the junk that I was feeding, why? Because I began to feed my mind, my subconscious, things that were uplifting. And so all of us have conversations, and we have them all the time, and I have to admit that some of those conversations are good, and some are not so good. And you and I have all had those embarrassing moments when we stuck our foot in mouth. Now, I, you may not have done that, but I have done that many, many times. Stuck foot right in mouth. Conversations are just a part of life. 
And there's a group called the Gottman Institute that did some research concerning conversations. And this is what they discovered, that there was a ratio, a ratio in our conversations. And for every moment or every comment, for every comment of encouragement, there were six comments of criticism. For every one moment of encouragement, there were six comments of criticism. Hmm. Now, if you want to know the truth, that's a huge insight. And it really does explain why. A lot because there are many workplaces that are negative and dysfunctional and toxic. And when the conversations are toxic, negative, then the workplace is going to be toxic. Now, think about this. There are a lot of marriages and relationships and families that struggle. Have you ever heard when someone say, it just, I just can't seem to do anything right in your eyes? Have you ever heard children say that? Have you ever heard spouses say that? Yes. You know what? You have a toxic relationship. Because it might be that instead of giving more encouragement, instead of giving more encouragement, you're offering more criticism than encouragement. And I want you to know this is a real issue in the world in which we live today. The fact is, and I want you to hear me, the fact is every one of us are facing a battle of some sort. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you're at in life, whether you're young or old or middle-aged or raising kids or uh, just getting out of high school or even a child. There is a battle going on of some sort in your life. It could be in your relationships. It could be about your job. It could be about the world of finance. It could be self-esteem, lack of confidence, insecurity, or it could be just in your thoughts, a battle going on. I was reading this week that there was a, and it might have been Celebration Church, I don't remember who it was, but there was a pastor that God spoke to him, and he says, I want you to get up this, this morning, and I don't want you to preach what you've been preaching. I want you to speak about depression and suicide. And he thought, well, God... We're Christians. We do not have those thoughts. But he chose to obey the Lord, and he began to speak, and he said, listen, there are many of you that are struggling with suicidal thoughts. And there was no response. And he thought, God, if I missed it, or am I just, I, I, I kind of looking foolish up here. And then all of a sudden, one lady out of the balcony come down, came down, and she came to the front of the church and when that one lady came down to the front of the church, 200 people followed her. Every one of them were battling suicidal thoughts. And the church had no idea. You see, all of us have battle, battles going on in our minds sometimes. And we have a good way of trying to cover them up and making everyone think everything's okay. And if we're not careful, you and I as Christians, instead of helping the struggle, we empower the struggle by the very words that we speak. 
And so I want to apply a principle that God lays out in his word. There is a man or character in the Bible by the name of Job, and many of you have heard of him. He was very influential. He was very wealthy. He was a man of great integrity and character. He was a man who had God's favor. But there was a time when in his life when he asked or when he wished he had not been born. Have you ever felt that way? You don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever felt that way? God, it would have been better had I not been born. I got a feeling that every one of you or most of you have felt that way at one point in your life. Job felt that way. He felt like, God, it would have been better had I not been born. He was facing a battle And the friends that he had did nothing at all to encourage him. In fact, this is what he said in Job 16, 1 and 2. Then Job replied, I have heard heard many things like these. Miserable comforters are you all. His best friends, all they could do was criticize Job and what he was going through. And he said, I've, had, I've heard many of these things. He said, every one of you are miserable comforters. And I'm going to tell you, none of us need, Job, need friends like Job. Now, nobody's going to argue that we need encouragement. And you have no idea what one single word of encouragement will do. And everyone will agree that encouragement is a nice thing to do, but we must not see it as a nice thing to do, but we must see it as urgent. If we don't see it as the urgent, the thing to do, and we don't become intentional, we, begin, we will just continue to drift in life with this kind of one six ratio. And we must change the ratio where we are bent on becoming encouragers more than criticizers. In fact, if you were to look back on your conversation this week, I mean, what kind of ratio would you have? When you spoke, did you speak words of encouragement? Did you speak words of life? Or were you talking about politics? Were you talking about the economy? Now, those things need to be discussed. Hear me. They need to be discussed. They need to be talked about. I, 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 they, they, there are real issues out there, and they need to be discussed and talked about. But if we're not careful, when we get on those conversations, we begin to criticize and complain and, and everything else and start of trying to encourage one another. And this is a principle that works. In Acts 15.32, the Bible says Judas and Silas, who themselves were prophets, said much to encourage and strengthen their brothers. In 1 Thessalonians 5.11 and 14, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. And then we find in Hebrews 3.13, and I love this, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you become hardened, maybe be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And so in essence, 
the writer of the Paul and Jesus and God says, we need to encourage one another. We need to lift one another up. We need to build one another up. Now, let's apply this to our lives. There, and I really want you to, you know, I changed my message and I printed off the wrong one. <laughs> so let's not look at it. Did you know that Jesus ministered to every group of people in his life? And Jesus gave us an example and a pattern to follow. And so if we look at, for just a moment, at the life of Jesus, Jesus began to model what you and I have every day of our lives. He had what is known as three circles. He had what is known as the inner circle, which would be the 12 disciples. Now, you may not have 12 disciples that are following you, but you have people in your life. You have a spouse, you have children, you have family. That's your inner circle. That is your, that's your safety net. That's your inner circle where you really want to pour into them. And I'm telling you, dads, can I speak to the dads? You have so much influence over your children. Do you realize, and I don't mean this in a negative context, but I want a connotation, but I want you to realize you have more influence over your children than the mom has. And you say, well, why is that? Because that's the way God designed it. The man is supposed to be the priest of the home. He is to be the influencer. He is to be the mentor. He is to be the protector. He is to encourage him. In fact, Paul tells us, don't aspirate your children, but encourage them in the ways of the Lord. You know, I, I've, I, there are times I know that I aspirated my kids. And God is saying, don't aspirate your kids. Encourage them. Build them up. Pour into them. When they do something that, that they're, they're trying to do, then encourage them in what they're doing. You're doing a great job. I'm proud of you. I'm so glad that you're doing that. I mean, build them up in what they're doing. Mothers, you need to do the same with your children. Wives, you need to do that with your spouse. Husbands, you need to do that with your spouse. And we'll talk about that. That's your inner circle. And then you have what you call your circle of influence. And the circle of influence is those that your coworkers, those that you come in contact with every day that you work side by side with. They may not be your inner circle, but they're the circle of your influence. You influence them because you're in contact with them every day or almost every day, and you can pour into them and, and encourage them. And then there's the sphere of influence. And that's those people that we meet maybe one time in our life or maybe once a week or maybe the waitress or the waiter. Maybe the guy that's putting, loading our vehicle. Whatever it is, you, just, you don't really know them, but they're the sphere of your influence. Did you know that Jesus modeled this? What would happen if we decided that we're not going to take for granted any of our conversations, but we're going to purposely change them to become influencers, to become positive. We see them, as one person says, as interactions of opportunities. 
God desires to bless someone. And God chooses you and includes you in your conversations with people. And not only that, it will benefit them. It will not only benefit them, it will benefit you. Look at Proverbs. I think that's up there on the board. Proverbs 11.25. A generous person will prosper. Now notice that, a generous. The word generous means one that is apt to give, a giving person. Now, when we think of generous, we usually think of money, finance, or whatever. But it, it's not, it says nothing about money there. It just says a generous person will prosper. A giving person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Whoever refreshes others, whoever encourages others will be encouraged. It's a principle, it's a God-given principle that works. Now, I know it wasn't one of the 10 laws, but it really was. It really was love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I like words of affirmation. I like words of encouragement. And if I like words of affirmation and encouragement, then it tells me that everyone else likes words of affirmation and encouragement. And if I love me, and I love them, then I'm going to give generously. Whoever refreshes will himself be refreshed. You see, all of us need to be encouraged. And all those in our circle of conversations struggle with self-doubt, insecurity, and some form or fashion, including us. I mean, for example, let's take us men. I mean, we're the, we're the men of the house. We're the priest of the home. But every man, every man struggles with this all the time. You know what it is? Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to do a good job? Do I have what it takes to be a good leader? Do I really have what it takes to be a good husband? Do I have what it takes to be a good father to my children? I'm going to tell you, every man in this building struggles with this. And there are times in my own personal life, and I'm going to be open with you today. There are times I struggle in my life, in my personal life, and I'm thinking, I am just, I, I am not good enough. I compare myself with people, and I know I'm not supposed to do that, but you do the same thing. We compare ourselves with other people. I'll, I'll see somebody who is a great communicator. And all of a sudden, if I'm not careful, I, I'll begin to think, I don't think I have what it takes. I, I, I don't think I have what it takes to be a good communicator. He communicates so much better, so much smoother, so much more eloquently than I do. He's a great communicator. And God, I'm not sure that you really called me to preach. I struggle with that. I'm just going to be honest. Now, I'm not asking you to come up and say, oh, you're a great preacher. That's not what I'm asking. I'm just telling you, those are the thoughts in my mind. Those are the thoughts in most men's mind. I, do I really have what it takes to do a good job? You that are in business, you, you think, God, do I really have what it takes to, to, to make this business a success? 
to provide for my family? Do I really have what it takes? I struggle. All of you struggle with that. And you women, I know you don't struggle with that. But every woman struggles with this question every time. Does he think I'm special? Yeah. Does he think I'm pretty? I can prove it. I can prove it. I can prove it to every one of you. Every woman has those questions. Because you let a woman go get her hair cut. You let them go get the hair cut. My wife doesn't come in and say anything to me about my hair, her hair. All I do, she says, I'm going to get my hair cut. I'm going to get it colored, whatever. She doesn't come back and say, well, how do you think I look? She doesn't say a word. I'm telling you. Do you? You're an exception. You know what? She's waiting. She's waiting for me to make a compliment. She's waiting for me to say, oh, you look good. I love the way you did your hair. She's waiting. She's anticipating. And if nothing is said, and I've learned the hard way, if nothing is said, then she begins to question, I must not be attracted to him. Or he, she, he must not be attracted to me. He didn't notice me. Am I right? Yeah, I'm right. You see, and I, I feel like most, all of us are the same. We struggle. We have those battles in our minds that are constantly going on. What is so ironic is that we usually get this encouragement right on one particular occasion. And it's at funerals. But the problem is, they're not there. They're not there. They can't hear you. And so that's why I believe it's time now to apply these principles of replenishing. Wives, do you know how powerful your voice is? Do you know how powerful your words of encouragement are? Your husbands, and I'm going to tell you, this is one of the needs of a husband. The five basic needs of a husband, this is one of them. Your husband longs to hear your appreciation, your respect, your encouragement. And this is one of the basic needs that we have. Because I'm telling you, you don't understand how powerful your words are. And when you, uh, when you see your husband, when you see your spouse, and you look at them and you say, man, I really appreciate appreciate what you did. I appreciate the hard work. I appreciate the fact that you're willing to get up every day and go to work to provide a roof over my head. Do you know how much that encourages a man? That you, you, you speak life into him. You speak life into him. You're speaking life into him. You're encouraging them. And I want you to know when you encourage him, it's going to come back to you and you're going to be encouraged. Now think about your children. How many times, how many times have I hurt my children because instead of encouraging them, I criticized them? 
You know, Will's not in here. I don't think he's in here. Will gets up here and every Sunday just about, and he got his guitar. And you know what I tell him? He doesn't know music. He has taken drum lessons, and he can play the drums. He's got good rhythm. Derek and Chris and them are teaching him chords. But every time he gets up here, I encourage him. Son, you're doing a good job. And I tell you what, if your children want to get up there, we'll put you up there as well. I want to encourage our children to be a part and to grow and be encouraged. And I tell you what, we need to encourage them. Don't criticize if they miss a chord. Don't criticize them missing a chord. Don't criticize because they got off beat. Don't criticize. No, you're doing a wonderful job. And, and I want to show you some ways that can help you to improve. You encourage them. And not just, I'm just using Will as an example because he's my, he's my grandson. But your children are the same way when they write a wonderful story. My daughter, I, you know, it was unbelievable. My daughter wrote, uh, did a speech one day, and I think it was in the fifth grade. It was in the fifth grade, and, and, and she had to do a speech before the entire school, before the entire school. And I thought, oh, and she had to write the speech out. And she got up in front of the entire school, and for 10 minutes, she gave a speech that was incredible. And I thought, where did that come from? I'm just going to be honest. I did. I thought, where did that come from? I've never seen that in her. I never saw that in her. I've never heard her do that before. She was so incredible and articulate. She's not like me. She's very articulate. And she spoke words very clear for a fifth grader. And I thought, where in the world did that come from? It didn't come from her dad. It came from her mom. But I was so proud of her. And I'm telling you, I want to encourage her to keep doing it. Keep doing it. What if I, what if when she did that, all of a sudden I, I, I said, oh, baby, you did a great job, but you, you could have spoke a little louder. I'm surprised she spoke at all because I've never seen that. What I'm trying to say, we have our inner circle. Wives, husbands, parents, you have the power of life and death in the words that you speak. What if now, from here on out, that instead of criticizing or being critical or speaking negative over your children, or over your spouse, or, or, or whatever, what if you purposely, purposely said, God, this is a principle that works. It's a principle that if I will replenish, that if I will encourage, that I will be encouraged as well. What if we begin to apply that in our daily lives? What if we begin to apply that in our inner circle every day, and we're not going to speak anything negative, we're going to speak things of life and in words of encouragement and things that are positive. What if we did that? How would that change our environment at home? I believe it would have great impact. What if we did that with our influence, our influential friends? What if we did that same with our coworkers? If you're a manager, if you're a, a, a manager over a, a group of people and, and you say, you know, you walk in on them and you say, you know, what are you doing? Have you done that? Don't answer. 
What if you change it and said, Derek, how you doing? How you doing, man? I, I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know how you're feeling. I, I, I want to know maybe some thoughts that are going through your mind. How are you doing? I'm telling you what. You know, when you ask me, what are you doing? I'm going to try to justify my actions. But when you ask me how I'm doing, it tells me you're concerned about me. It tells me you're concerned about me and not my job. You're concerned about the me. And so what if, instead of asking, what are you doing, how are you doing? How can I help you? How can I make you better? How, how can I move you in the right direction? How are you feeling about your job or, or whatever? What if you begin to be intentional? And then your sphere of influence. What if? What if the person that you just all of a sudden have to bump up against? I remember not too long ago, I went to Cracker Barrel. This is before everything happened. And I went to Cracker Barrel, and we were standing in line, and this guy comes out the door and just slams the door, you know, open. And this guy's standing there and kind of bumps him, bumps him as he goes out. And I'm just thinking, then I'm standing there, I'm thinking, man, this guy's got a, something going on and, you know, just got an attitude. And, of course, the guy that he bumped into was a young guy. And, man, he had his girlfriend there. It, it might have been his wife, but I don't know if it was. I, th I think he wasn't married. I think it was his girlfriend. Young guy there. And, man, when he bumped him, he said, man, what's wrong with you? And the other guy bowed up. You got a problem? And I thought, oh, we fixing to have a fight. We are fixing to have a fight. And about that time, I said, hey, man, let it go. Just let it go. It ain't worth it. It ain't worth it. Just let it go. And all of a sudden, he just kind of calmed down. You see, I became intentional not to ignite the fire worse. Because I could have looked at the guy and said, man, what kind of jerk are you? You know, I, I could have, I mean, because, you know, that's what I thought in my mind, probably. Man, what a jerk. <laughs> but I, I looked at the guy, mm, man, this is getting heated. I said, just let it go. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And the guy just kind of backed off, and the other guy walked off. And I thought, yeah, I had a choice there. I could have said something that could have made matters worse. You see, I've discovered something about life. Not everybody's having a good day. Not everybody. Everybody's got a battle going on in their life. And if we become intentional on sharing a word of encouragement, a word of life, it can change everything. What about the waiter or the waitress? They were terrible waiter. They were terrible waitress. I've had some terrible waitresses before. Or waiters. I've had some terrible. Man, they didn't get they didn't refill my tea. This you don't refill my tea, you ain't a good waiter. <laughs> I just keep keep me full of tea and you're good. You know something? And it's real easy for me to get in the mindset of the world. I didn't get good service, you're not getting a good tip. That's exactly right. You didn't give me good service, you're not getting a good tip. 
But the reality is you don't know what's going on in their minds. You don't know what's going on behind closed doors. You don't know what's going on back there in, in, the, in the dinner room where they're making the food. You don't know what her manager or his manager just said to him or her. You don't know what kind of breakup they're having at the home. Man, I've seen kids. I've seen kids because of what the parents were going through. Man, they were being crushed. And, they, and I'm telling you, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. But what if you, what if you become the one that says, listen, you don't have to lie, but you can encourage them and speak life into them. And even if they didn't do a good job, tip them as if they did do a good job. Because you don't know what's going on back of house. You have no clue. And they're certainly not going to tell you. I remember Gene Barber. Where's Gene at? Gene's here somewhere. was here. thought I saw him here. Maybe I didn't. Maybe it was his. Oh, there he is. I remember when I went to eat with Gene one day. It was me, John, and Gene. I think it was me, John, and Gene. Now, when you get them two together, I'm just going to tell you, they ain't going to tell them what's going to be said, what's going to happen. <laughs> this is before Vicky came along. This is before Vicky came along and straightened Gene out. But I remember we were at a Sonny's. And we were sitting there at Sonny's and Gene and his flirtatious spirit. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Gene sitting there. We were sitting there and Gene says to the waitress and she was, he, she, she did a good job, but you know, she, you could tell that maybe something going on. And Gene spoke up and said, hey, we're going to pray for our food. Would you like us to pray for you as well? Complete stranger. Didn't know anything about her background. I'm sorry I moved away from the camera. <laughs> Completely stranger. And she responded and she says, yes, I would. And Jean said, is there anything special you'd like for us to pray for you about as we pray? And there was things going on in her life. She, she began to kind of spill out. What a gift of encouragement to that lady. They really do care. He is willing to pray for me as he's praying for his food. And, and I'm telling you, it makes a difference. And I want to I close. You see, encouragement is never small when you're on the receiving end of it. And when we begin to wake up, to the circle of our, when we begin to wake up to the circle conversations that we have, I believe that God will bless us amazingly and we begin to drift from criticism to encouragement. And you may respond, well, that's fine and well, but I need to be encouraged. And that's a good question. What about me? But the reason we may not have received encouragement it's because many people don't feel good enough about themselves to help you feel good. Sometimes when I don't feel good, I don't feel good about myself to help you. The principle, a generous man, what? What did he say? A generous man is what? Go back to that, Brooke. 
A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes, whoever replenishes, whoever encourages others will be refreshed. It's a principle that works. Now, I'm sharing this because of the time that we're living in. Derek, if you'll come on. The time that we're living in, if there's ever a time that we needed to speak words of affirmation, is today. I, I, I listen, I don't listen to much news anymore, but I heard the other day that, um, that the school system got a failing grade in America, not in Camden County, in America, in America. Not blaming teachers, not blaming teachers at all. So don't, don't think I'm doing that. They got a failing grade because we were shoved into this online school. And most of our children, most of our children only got 70% of the reading they were supposed to get. They only got 40% of the math that they were supposed to get. Now, when they go to school in the fall, what does that mean? They're already behind. They're already behind. And you know what? I've discovered something. These young kids feel the pressure of that. They feel the pressure. I'm not good enough. I don't get it. I can't comprehend it. They feel the pressure. And what they don't need is some teacher or some parent or some person over them telling them they're just not smart enough. They need someone standing over them and say, you can do it. Cheering them on, making them overcomers, helping them along the way. Because that battle, I'm telling you, there again, I, I mean, to, but I've seen Will struggle. Came home one day and he said, I'm just never going to get it. I'm just not good enough. Man, you know how it breaks my heart to hear my grandson say that? It crushes me. But somebody told him he wasn't good enough. They did. Oh, you'll never get it. You're not good enough. Crushed him. And he's not but eight years old. No eight-year-old should ever hear that. But neither should a grown-up. No one. And I want us to, to, to really grasp this principle that if we as a church, as a community of believers just would apply this one principle to our conversations it will change our inner circle it will change our sphere of influence it will change our work environment if we just apply this one principle because it works it really does work And so I want to challenge you today. In the world that we're living in, there's so much negativity. There's so much criticism. Criticizing leaders. Criticizing everyone. I mean, it's on both sides. It's on both sides, okay? So I'm not trying to pick out one group over another group. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. Well, what if we became intentional and said, listen, I'm not going to criticize anymore. I'm not going to just spurt off what's on my mind or my opinion is. 
What if I become intentional that in the midst of this conversation, I'm going to build up. I'm going to encourage. I'm going to build not walls, but bridges. I'm going to speak life because my words have the power of life and death. Your words. What if we became intentional? What if we began to do that daily in our lives? What would it change? I believe it will change everything in our inner circle, in the outer circle, and in the sphere. I believe it will change everything. Would you stand? So I want to challenge you. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. There is a law here. There is a principle here that we need to understand. If you make the effort to replenish, you will be replenished. And the way you want to bend your life is towards more replenishment of others. Because when you replenish them, when you encourage them, you yourself will be encouraged. You see, I believe that today. And I'm telling you from experience, it works. Even if you're an unbeliever, even if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, this principle works. It really does. It's a law. It's a principle that works if you apply it. So I want to challenge you that when I leave today, when I speak words, whether it's inner, outer, or the spear, I'm going to purposely speak words of life. Not words of criticism, not words of negativity, but words of life. I'm going to do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, I have felt your presence today. God, I believe you're getting ready to pour out on us a great move of your spirit. I believe, God, there's a revival coming. God, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. And what the enemy meant for evil and the world in which we're living in, God, you're going to work for good for us as Christians and for the world. You're going to build your kingdom. You're going to advance your kingdom, God. You're going to tear walls down. You're going to do things that we would have never thought about, God. I believe that. But, God, I believe that during this time, Lord, you want to use your people, God, to influence the world. Not to criticize the world. Not to judge the world. Not to speak negative thoughts to the world or words to the world. But, God, I believe you want us to speak life to a world that's lost. You want us to speak life to a world that doesn't know you. You want us to speak life. God, not judgment, but life. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, God, that you would help us today to become intentional, to replenish others. And if we do it, God, we ourselves will be replenished, we'll be encouraged, we'll be lifted up, God, in whatever area of our life. But God, I want this church, this community, to know this church as a church that encourages others, that builds other people up. Even when they're down, we don't see them as down. We see them where they can be, where God wants them to be. God, that we encourage and speak life. God, for a world that makes wrong decisions, 
God, we don't want to criticize their wrong decisions. But what we want to do is encourage them to make right decisions and have a right relationship with you. God, I pray that you would speak to us today and help us as a church to become intentional. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Would you join with Derek? And I want to tell you something as he, before he sings. I want to give you an invitation today. Maybe you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior. Maybe someone out there doesn't know Christ, not just in the church, but out there listening. But I want you to know that God loves you so much that God gave these guidelines for us to live by. He did not give them to the world. He gave them to us so we could have a better life, so we could be protective and enjoy the blessings that God has for us. And today, if you're out of fellowship with him, if you don't know him as your personal savior, I want you to know that Jesus came to earth and he died on the cross for your sin and my sin to set us free from bondage, from slavery, to set us free from sin that you and I were born into. And he did go to the grave, but then he rose on the third day so that he, not only he overcame sin, there was no sin in him, he conquered sin, death, hell, and the grave, but he conquered it in our lives today so we can have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. If you don't know him, this altar's open. And I'd love to pray with you this morning. Would you sing, Derek? Would you lead us? Would you just worship the Lord in this song? You were the word, the beginning. One with God, the Lord, most high. Hidden glory in creation Now revealed in you Our Christ What a beautiful name What a beautiful name is The name of Jesus Christ My King What a beautiful name Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful.